I'm Lottie Morley and this is LadyPod, the new podcast celebrating wonderful women. My guests will be sharing their inspiring stories about how they got to where they are now and a few funny tales along the way. My guest today is a writer and creative practitioner. She runs Where I'm Coming From, an open mic that promotes BAME and underrepresented writers from Wales. Currently doing a PhD in creative writing, and there are a million other points on the list, but Jure Shawar is with me now. Hello, Jure. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks for having me. And we've just been to one of your events, Where I'm Coming From. So let's start off with that. When did it begin and, and how did it come about? Um, so it started off in 2007, but we just felt like there wasn't enough space for writers from BAMU and represented backgrounds in Cardiff um, where they can go and perform their work. Um, something that I felt like a safe space because I know there's a lot of open mics that go on in Cardiff, but we just felt like they weren't representative enough. Um, and also not even representative in terms of like someone's race or religion um, or ethnicity, but kind of represented in the sense that um, whether they were published or not or what stage they were at with their career. Um, so we really wanted to create a space that felt like a safe space that was welcoming, warm and you know, people would just turn up and test out first drafts of the work and be cheered along and encouraged to produce more. So yeah. Elizabeth O'Farrell gets a tucked away park on the keys while Pierce gets a street. He gets the photo while she's just the feet. Focusing on the past because they're afraid of the future, unaware of the presence, of the potential of progress. Dantaflau, dandelion. Diwavagea, mardeyar and glass. And did you grow up in Cardiff? Yes, yeah. How was that? Uh, yeah, like Cardiff's my home, I love it. Um, but kind of, I guess growing up, like I was in a bubble in terms of like, I didn't know that there were other people from minority backgrounds in Cardiff, like from a writing point of view. Obviously there's people from minority backgrounds in Cardiff. But um, like, for example, when I went to university, I think I was the only person of South Asian heritage doing an English and creative writing degree um, at university. So I kind of grew up not knowing that there were other people that I could connect to. Um, and so finding where I'm coming from or creating it was just as rewarding for me to do as much as it was to, you know, hopefully it's for other people. <laughs> And what made you want to become a writer? What, what inspired you? I love to read books. <laughs> yeah, I just love to read. Yeah. <laughs> I was a super big book nerd growing up. Um, and I think the, the turning point was, I think when I was like about 14 or 13, my older sister used to write poetry. <laughs> so like one evening I was like sitting in her bedroom and she was writing poetry. And I was like, I'm going to give it a try and write my own. And I think from then on, I was like, yeah, I'm going to write poetry and um, I was really grateful because I feel like um, the arts and the humanities is uh, as, a, as a topic or as a area isn't really something that people from South Asian backgrounds are encouraged to go towards we um, like our parents encourage us to go to go more towards STEM subjects which are more practical and you can get a job <laughs> but I was really lucky like my mum from the get-go she was like no you're gonna study English literature like and it, it you know lucky enough that I enjoyed doing it too but she encouraged me to do it and yeah so <laughs> that's really interesting yeah really interesting <laughs> um and I've seen you uh, I've had a little look at you today online and, and I know you said you you're not very 
present online, but you are, you know, you've got your social media and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what was the book called? Know Your Place. Know Your Place. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, so Know Your Place, Essays on the Working Class by the Working Class was uh, published by Dead Ink Books. I think that was in 2017 or 18. I might be wrong. Um, so they did a call out for people from working class backgrounds who had stories to share. And when they did the call out, like I'd been following them on social media, on Twitter. So um, they're a really good publisher based in Liverpool. Um, so when they did the call out, I happened to have like things in my notebook that I was scribbling about growing up in a working class background. But it was one of those things that, you know, you don't want to share because you're so, I was like semi ashamed of, you know, growing up. Um, and then when they did the call out I was like oh wait a minute there's a it's not just me there's other people out there who feel the same way as me so I submitted a a pitch to them and like wildly enough it got accepted and yeah (laughs) they published my essay in the book so um, yeah since then it's just felt like I can just be me a lot more than I used to be before so yeah it's really nice to see conversations about people from working class backgrounds happening more so than ever and you talk about a whole host of, uh, of, of topics, but I've seen you talk about intersectional feminism. So firstly, how would you explain what that is? Um, so intersectionality as a term was coined by Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. Uh, I'm not sure of the year, um, but she was a feminist, a black feminist. And um, intersectionality as a word, I guess, or as an approach to feminism takes into account the fact that we all come from you know, different ethnicities, different race, religion, Um, class, gender, um, and so it takes into account all of those different dynamics when approaching feminism as opposed to having a one-size-fits-all approach to feminism. It takes into account that someone's reality might be different according to where they're from or how they've grown up um, and understanding that what might be feminism to you might not look like feminism for someone else. And I think that's really, really important because... um, yeah, I feel like we get a lot of, you know, tarring everyone under the same brush, not of like militant feminism um, and people telling each other that they're right or wrong. <laughs> Whereas, you know, our realities are different and our situations are different. So as a, a feminist myself, um, yeah, that term kind of really speaks to my experience of growing up. And how can people be more intersectional? Yeah, I guess what I mentioned about like, you know, not tarring everyone, everyone under the same brush, um, so I'm going to, I guess, speak through examples. Um, growing up, um, I really rejected this idea of coming from a South Asian background. I was like, I don't want to get married and I don't want to have children because it's something that's expected of me. And it's kind of, you know, like, oh, having a career is more important or it's higher up. And we've all been guilty of like kind of doing that type of thing and kind of questioning your own biases and your own prejudices. I think I feel like we all have them, um, you know, be allies and not take up space that, you know, belong to women of colour. And in one of your essays, you said, as a brown working class Muslim woman, I tried to draw attention away from those things until I realised they are an essential part of my identity. So how did you come to this realisation of accepting what makes you who you are? Um, I, I always go back to this, but you know The Good Immigrant, published by Nikesh Shukla, yeah. <laughs> when that came out, I feel like until that book came out, I was... Like I said, growing up in Cardiff, um, working in the humanities, I felt like I was in a bit of a bubble and I was kind of feeling like I had to hide my class. I had to um, kind of hide writing about my experience and seeing a book published by 
a person of color, um, including voices completely by people of color who were championing, you know, where they were from or, you know, their ethnicity and race, that was an encouragement for me to be kind of, you know, that was a turning point for me to be like, actually, no, you, you know, your experience matters and what you have to say is really important and you should say it and you should write about it. And yeah, I think that was a turning point. <laughs> so I want to talk about confidence and putting yourself out there. You know, you've said that you've come from a background that maybe that might not have been the kind of typical route for you. Mm. Um, I think being creative and putting yourself out there requires a certain amount of confidence. Do you think you've always been a confident person? Hell no. <laughs> really? Can I say that? Can yeah, I say hell? <laughs> Um, yeah, hell no. I feel like even today, I'm just not confident. I just get the jitters, um, which is crazy because people are like, you do all these amazing things. Like you're doing a goddamn PhD for God's sake. And I'm like, <laughs> I know, but I just, I, yeah, it's just, I'm still trying to be more confident and have more faith in what I have to say and believe that what I have to say is valid. And I guess things like this really help when, you know, people are like, she's really interesting. Let's talk to her about, <laughs> you know, for our podcast. Like, yeah, that really helps. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess some people are just naturally confident or they've grown up in environments that make them confident and entitlement I guess with you know some people grow up entitled to that confidence whereas I feel like I haven't so I'm constantly doubting myself and I I speak a lot about mental health as well I do have anxiety <laughs> so that like that double-edged sword just doesn't mm. help um but I think I'm better at it now than I was before so I mean you wouldn't know you honestly wouldn't really? know. yeah yeah not at all and, uh, you know, is confidence something that you work on then? Is, is it obviously you, you, actively, you seem it. Yeah, you yeah. seem it. Actively work on and doing the breaths, like take a deep breath. Like even when the open mic was running mm. out at, at the side, I was like, take a deep breath. Everything's going fine. Like you're doing it fine. You, I constantly have to work on it. Um, but it gets easier. I think the more you work on it, the easier it gets for sure. You know, nearly everyone you know will have suffered with anxiety at some point. But despite that, you won't speak about it. And I'm especially kind of, you know, because I, I almost feel like to an extent I have a professional platform on Twitter, but that's where I'll speak about it the most. Um, but I don't, I don't want it to be something that I don't speak about. Like I want my employers to know that this is something I have and, you know, for it to not infringe on your jobs or the work that you do. I think that's really important. I think it was building up for quite a while. Um, uh, yeah, it was building up for quite a while. And then um, I went through a personal experience. I started having panic attacks, like really bad panic attacks. Um, and then I was like, okay, I need to go to the doctor now and, you know, get some help for this. Um, and uh, it, yeah, trying to kind of convey to the doctor that this is something you need help with is really difficult, but you have to be, you know, you have to keep being persistent and keep going back. And eventually I got put on anxiety medication and everything's not, you know, rainbows of sunshine but it just makes you get on with your life a bit better and it's great who wouldn't want that <laughs> yeah Definitely. it's like taking you know uh, insulin for diabetes mm. it's yeah even now I feel like some close friends like people will be like do some yoga and I'm like I have been doing yoga since I was 16 <laughs> the anxiety came afterwards mm. so it's it's kind of like I feel like yeah it's less that um I'm worried about telling people. I'm more worried about their reaction to it because I feel like people will try to understand, but they still don't quite understand it. And I think the only way you can break that barrier is speaking about it. 
And you mentioned that you're doing a PhD, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. And I imagine is very demanding, uses up lots of time and energy. Uh, I want to talk about the side hustle. So <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine the PhD is a pretty full-time thing. Yeah. Um, you've started a project, where I'm coming from, which we've, we've just seen. Uh, how do you manage that? I'm really lucky to have Hanan and Taylor with me because, um, yeah, we, I guess we pick up where the other person leaves off. Um, so we really take into account that, okay, you're busy now, right now, so I'll chip in a bit more because I've got a bit more time and vice versa. So we do that for everyone. It really helps that it's a collaboration between us three um, as opposed to me just running it on my own. So, you know, Hannah, Taylor will do the socials or Hanan and I will do, I don't know, like the funding applications or we'll ask people to perform or we'll do this or that. So yeah, we kind of just allocate tasks and it's all wing it and somehow it comes together <laughs> yeah. again it doesn't feel like that or it's, it was <laughs> polished really polished and today what they were probably about 60 people yeah would you say probably yeah. yeah is that the biggest one you've done so far probably yeah yeah it just keeps growing in numbers it's crazy tram shed are really amazing like they put out 40 chairs for us and at the start that was like you know we were really chuffed with like 35 people yes <laughs> and now we get 60 people and i'm like what's going on <laughs> it's great it's great but yeah <laughs> a lot of the poems that we heard today uh involve things like sexism racism mm. why do you think the issues are so important to the people who come to these events um, I mean, I can't speak on their behalf, but um, I guess maybe personal experience and also I feel like our world is just getting socially and politically increasingly hostile. I feel like that's the only word I've been using about it so far. Um, and things are coming to the surface more so than ever. And I guess people use creativity as a platform and having a safe, like welcoming space to kind of share that with people. Um, I guess it has its therapeutic benefits. I hope so. I mean, yeah, being creative definitely has its therapeutic benefits for mm. me. So probably for other people. But yeah, I, think, I feel like people just feel the need to raise awareness more than ever. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned, you know, our society and the way that's going. Yeah. What worries you about the world that we're living in currently? Oh. And what gives you hope? Do I have to pick one? Yeah. <laughs> Go wild. <laughs> um, God, freaking climate change and <laughs> racism and... Uh, the right-wing movements and Trump and Brexit and <laughs> that I guess the list goes on and on <laughs> yeah. and um what gives me hope is I guess oh this is gonna sound really corny but yeah where I'm coming from gives me hope because <laughs> um, I don't know I feel like yeah when I come to where I'm coming from I've had a like if I've had a really tough week and I'm like oh I haven't written enough words for my PhD or this has happened in the news or you know on a personal level not I'm not feeling that great and I just come to it and it's like a nice community and we all just get together and we have a, you know, even though sometimes the topics are tough, um, just being able to get together and share and realize that you're, it's a shared experience that makes it a little bit better. And there were really young people here today, two girls that were like 17 years yeah. old. Do you feel like, do you feel like a responsibility to be like a role model? Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Um, Attica and Ansa, yeah. Um, Actually, when they first got in touch with me, Ansa, she got in touch with me through my website. Um, and she was like, uh, this is gonna, okay, this is going to sound really big-headed, but she was like, I didn't know that there were the writers from South Asian backgrounds in Cardiff, because she's also from a South Asian background. Right. And she was like, you know, you're such an inspiration to me. So oh. since she said that, it's really weird to reach a point where you feel like you could be someone else's role model as well. <laughs> um, 
yeah so I do feel like duty to that especially like kind of encouraging them to turn up and share their work and make sure they believe in it and put it out there so mm. yeah mm. definitely um, I was I did a panel at Bristol Festival Ideas a couple of months ago um, and someone said you know do you think the working class are othering themselves and you know this whole like idea of like the glass ceiling, I guess I go back to, is that, you know, we're really, because of where someone is from, there's a lot of stereotypes that people expect you to adhere to or behave according to. So uh, coming from a South Asian background and, you know, working class background, I'm supposed to be people pleasing and, you know, nice and lovely and all of that, those things. Um, and I've always just kind of been like, well, no, I'm, I may be those things, but I'm also all of these other things. And that's the image I want to put out in the world and just kind of really going for it. But I really do understand like financial barriers and social barriers and gatekeepers are not easy to surpass. Um, but yeah, keep going and believe in yourself and like really be authentic to yourself is really important. Yeah. That's lovely advice. <laughs> And you performed a poem today. And we march and we protest to come home to our neighbours cracking our windows, stealing welcome doormats to say that we are unwelcome. But when I say my humanity is not debatable, I'm too loud, too aggressive, too uncivil. You said, you kind of introduced it like... I don't usually perform at my own things because it feels a bit jammy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a direct quote. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Tell us about the poem to start off with. <laughs> so the poem was, um, I was asked to write it by Visual Verse, which is an online um, magazine. So the premise of the magazine is that they give you an image and you have to write a poem based on that image um, uh, to give it some context. So the image I was given was of uh, pigs swimming in the Bahamas um, and I got really annoyed like researching into it about you know the animal rights behind it um, animal cruelty behind it sorry um, and all of that but I couldn't really come up with something to write um, so what I what I instead did is I uh, made it political because I was really annoyed about everything going on in politics as per usual yeah and it was just to kind of raise awareness of how ridiculous everything right now is in politics um yeah bit of an angry poem <laughs> when did you write it uh september last year and i've that was the first time i performed it as well so oh, really? um, yeah because okay. i don't perform my work that often i'm more of a prose writer so right. prose i feel like with poetry you can have a short snippet and you can have a beat to it and it can sound really great whereas prose um i feel like it takes a lot more work so i don't really write perform Mm. my work as much yeah <laughs> so you spoke about mental health and mentioned that you have anxiety uh it's a real problem along with loneliness um do you think events like this help with that yeah I would hope so because they help me and I think um loneliness especially like this, this is gonna sound like such a cliche but we're all connected digitally but not connected physically mm. um, and I think events like this definitely help I mean even if you know you're not coming here to see your friends but you're just here with the community and in the audience but then you might you know meet someone new and make new friends um, yeah I think events like this definitely help to kind of alleviate things like anxiety and especially loneliness but um, hopefully <laughs> I saw something that you'd written saying be so good they can't ignore you yeah. And I love that. Wait, was that? I love that. Um, do you think that women in general have to overcompensate for just 
being female. Oh, 100%. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What made you write, so be so good they can't ignore you? Uh, well, I guess when I wrote that, it's the whole, you know, you have to work twice as hard to get twice as far. Um, like I'm from a working class background and all of that. Um, but I, like, I guess now since I've, since growing up a little bit since I wrote that, because I feel like that was quite a few years. Oh, really? Yeah. I've gone deep. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's really unfair that you have to do that. Like, you know, why isn't it that people can put in the same amount of work and be at the same amount of level? Um, so I guess I've gone a bit more radical <laughs> in that sense. Um, yeah. I like that, though. Be so good they can't ignore you. Yeah. That, that feels like that can apply for anyone. Right. Um, yeah. And it kind of speaks more to your work as opposed to your confidence mm. um, because I got given really good advice when I was doing my master's and I was thinking to apply for my PhD um, so my then supervisor she was like she noticed I was lacking in confidence back then more so um, and she was like you know you need to believe in your work you need to know that you're good and don't worry about being loud or being extroverted just believe that you have something really good to share that you know your stuff and that you're good and just go for it and since then that has always stuck with me like you know because I feel like right now we feel like we have to perform a lot on social media mm. and we have to really be like this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm doing which is great but that performativity is really exhausting sometimes so sometimes I'm like just just know you're good and you're doing good work definitely that's enough yeah <laughs> so I want to talk about crea creativity where do you find it? You're a writer. So, you know, you must write about all, you write about all sorts of stuff. Where do you find your creativity and do you ever have problems with that? Oh, I always have problems. <laughs> I think mainly because I draw from my real life. Um, so the genre I'm right now writing in is like autofiction. So it's kind of drawing from real life, but kind of fictionalizing it. Um, but the middle ground between biographical writing and fictional writing is that middle ground. Um, and I guess with that comes a lot of, because you're so close to the topic, you're always questioning whether what you're writing you want to put out because it's so vulnerable. Mm. Um, so I guess I'll draw a lot of inspiration from my real life. Um, but then if I get stuck, I'll do some basic writing exercises or the books that I'm reading really inspire me. Um, I really loved reading Sally Rooney's Normal People. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, do you know what? I have not read that, but I've it's, heard brilliant yeah. things. And I normally don't go after the hype, but it's it's well worth yeah. the hype. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone went wild for it. Oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, what what writing exercises? What what do you do? What do you do? It's kind of those? like even based. So I do this for my students at uni. Um, just basic ones like uh, free writing exercise for fifteen minutes. Um, anything that comes to your mind you just jot it down or thinking of the senses or thinking of your day and thinking of the senses and applying to it so if you walk down the street for example what did you see and you'll be surprised how something extraordinary come up, can come out of the ordinary experience um, so that's usually what I do yeah. so tell me about your PhD so my PhD is on um, basically I'm writing my first book through it um, focusing on how South Asian identities in Wales can be represented in Welsh writing in English because um, there's a lot of British South Asian or British Asian texts but Welsh, the Welsh experience is slightly different to a British experience so it's looking at how um, against the backdrop of Cardiff someone growing up um, or coming of age in Wales um, might identify with all those identities and moving away from really cliche stereotypes like arranged marriages and you know parents not understanding you and all of those stereotypes that you know 
are so dated, but still someone's real experience. But um, I just wanted to show identities in a more fluid and dynamic way. And it's just we're always given one way of showing like South Asian identities, or that has been the case until now. Um, but in terms of like Welsh literature, there's not been any writing by someone from a South Asian background. And it got, kind of goes back to kind of tarrying everyone under the same brush. Like our experiences are different and um, individualistic and they should be recognised for that. What do you think is the worst thing about being a woman? Oh, God. I guess the fact that we're still constantly patronised as women. Like we're still, there's still a gender pay gap for a God's sake. And men still mansplain you and... <laughs> The fact mm. that we still can't go out in the night, in the dark, what is up with that? Like, mm. we know without worrying for ourselves, like I get in my car and I'm like, lock the door immediately. And mm. I shouldn't have to live in a world where I have to worry about little things like that, even at my own hometown where I feel the safest. Um, yeah, I guess be worrying about your safety all the time is the worst thing about being a woman, for God's sake. And on the flip side, what's the best bit? Being a woman, <laughs> being like amazing, like for God's sake, we're, you know, women are beautiful and um, yeah, we have so much to offer and we're so tough and, you know, we're emotionally mature and yeah, I mean, we have kids and we go right back to work as Beyonce says. <laughs> so um, yeah, like everything about being a woman is amazing. Thank you for listening and thank you to our guest, Dure Shawa. Kira Cohen Ennis produced this series and our theme tune is from Easy Peel. We love getting your feedback and if you know a lady who you think should be on the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore ladypod or you can email us at ladypodpod at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.